of humanity. Um, I want to go ahead and have a disclaimer here, okay? Uh, it is okay to disagree with the preacher, all right? Uh, but it's not okay to disagree with the Word of God. And my, my goal tonight and over the next few weeks going through this booklet, Dealing with the Home, is to give you what the Bible says and what God ordained from the garden. Uh, and as we've talked about, the, the, the large scope of what the garden means. The garden is not just the Garden of Eden that, you know, Adam lives and there's some cute animals and some trees and stuff. But really, the garden points to the picture of what man was truly made for, and that is to worship and to know God, to dwell with God, to have fellowship and relationship, not just with God, but as we're going to see tonight, the creation of others who are made like Adam in the image of God. And uh, so tonight I want to begin by kind of picking up here and and reading uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 down through 25. And uh, please note that we will not get through through all of it tonight uh, or all of this booklet. Um, This is going to take a few weeks and and for a reason. I want us to really focus in on what God is doing here in this passage to give Adam, uh, to to see Adam's work in creation here as he is going to be naming some animals and, and having this sort of kingship over the earth and dominion over the earth as God had called him and and made him to do so but as well as he's preparing Adam for Eve and he's preparing him uh, for marriage and for what marriage is going to look like for the purpose of the home and the roles uh, of male and female the roles in the home and all these things these are exceptionally touchy subjects today in the world but unfortunately they are touchy subjects in the church but they should not be if you and I stick to Scripture and you and I know Scripture, study Scripture, and believe and truly trust that Scripture is not just infallible and inerrant and inspired, but that it is sufficient, then you and I will come to the conclusion that God is ordering something truly wonderful, truly marvelous here. And we're going to see, I believe, that of our great need today, I believe perhaps the greatest need is that we need stronger homes. I believe that the reason why we find ourselves in the shape that we are in, not just as a nation and throughout our world, but even in our own churches, is because homes have been weakened decade after decade, roles have been usurped or neglected, and we're going to see how that plays out even over the next chapter, how Adam is going to fail in his role as husband, uh, father, how Eve will will fail as as wife and, and, and as mother, and these things are going to take place, and we're going to see that um, sin brings about a total breakdown of everything. First, it breaks down our hearts. Then it breaks down our homes. And then if our homes are broken down, what else does that mean? Our churches are broke down. But it, in a bigger scheme, it means that our whole society collapses. This truly is the heartbeat of humanity. So goes the home, so goes society. As the home goes, as your heart goes, will go your home. As go your, the home's go our churches, as the churches go our communities, as go our communities go our... You see how this goes. It is absolutely critical to get this. So let's look here tonight. Verse number 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they both were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Verse 25 seems so out of place, but as we're going to see as we move through this, it is going to be absolutely critical to see and understand how they are in a perfect garden, in a perfect relationship to God, and a perfect relationship to one another because they're both naked and they don't know it. And they don't know it because they have not sinned. So therefore, sin has not broken down their relationship to God and to one another. But as soon as Genesis 3 comes in, what happens? Sin, which immediately, instantaneously, and forever separates them from God, breaks that relationship down, which then breaks the relationship down with one another. 
how do we know? Their marriage goes from perfect to then going, well, it's that woman you gave me. And she goes, well, it's the serpent that was there. And we see the blame game and we see how now their first big argument is happening at the very first sin of all of humanity. And, and, and things go from, from good to bad and, and ugly really quick. Now, I want to look here, first of all, tonight in verse 18 down through 20. We're going to see preparing Adam for Eve. Um, uh, sort of a, a, on a personal note, and all those who have been uh, husbands before, uh, there is a preparation period that God takes you through, I firmly believe, to prepare you for your wife. And I believe as well, but long before you even get together, that, that God has that person um, uh, in place for you and is preparing your heart for that. Uh, I, was not, uh, I was not a person who would be but so dateable. You're surprised, I know. Um, <laughs> nor was I a person who, who dated any at, at all, actually. Uh, and so, but yet God through all these, this time was preparing me, uh, to, to meet, to meet my wife. And, and I believe that Adam is being prepared here over these couple of verses for what is about to take place in his life. What's about to happen in his life is going to change his life forever, literally forever. And it's going to change the world forever because this is a part of God's divine plan here. First of all, in verse 18, it says, and the Lord God said, now that's key because we have seen that phrase um, over and over, especially in Genesis chapter 1. If you remember Genesis chapter 1, it literally every day of creation begins and God said. It is the same idea that, that the New Testament points out to the word theopneustos, that God breathed out. And he's literally speaking. Uh, the, the power of creation is upon his tongue. It, it flows from him. He speaks it into existence. He simply breathes it out. Well, we see God's power, his his absolute power, His absolute authority and His sovereignty in the moment that He speaks, that creation uh, comes forth. But we as well see this key. The Lord God said, and when God speaks, our ears should then open, our hearts should, should then open. And He says, it is not good. Now, have, let me ask you this, all right? Simple pop quiz. Have we seen that phrase yet up to this point? No, right? All right. No, we have not. In case you were wondering, no, we have not. Everything that we've seen so far has been, and the evening, the morning, were the first, or the second, or the third, or the fourth, fifth, sixth, and it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. And now God, after the uh, seventh day, and you say, well, when? What day is this day? Here's the long answer: is I don't know. And short answer is I don't know. All right. We're not sure of what day this is taking place. We do know that it is taking place after God had formed uh, man and, and made him, as, as talked about in Genesis chapter 1, on the sixth day. And uh, now we come here to verse 18. He says, it is not good. Now, for the Jewish reader especially, who has just read the first chapter and half uh, of the Scripture, this perks their ears up. And for you and I, we often read Genesis, unfortunately, like it's a fairy tale, and it is no fairy tale. This is the account of the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God who speaks and creates and does so with a divine eternal decree for all things and with a, a higher eternal purpose for, for everything, everything from the garden uh, to, to man, to every plant, to every star in the sky. It, it all points for a grander and higher purpose. And so he says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now this verse, it goes uh, literally a wave of emotions that you and I don't experience, but to the reader here, especially uh, thousands of years ago, that, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. They go, oh no, that's not good. But then what happens? I will make him and help me for him. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Right? God says, this is not good, but here's what I'm going to do. It, it reminds us that all throughout Scripture, where God says, this is not good, that God still can take something that is not good and make a way and bring about redemption, to bring about something that is going to be uh, far more beautiful, far more uh, great than what we can imagine. Now, the word good here has been all throughout chapter 1 and 2 up to this point, specifically in chapter 1, and we dealt with it, that good means that it is serving a purpose for man, right? Uh, that we've seen that this is the first time that something has been declared not good, right? So that uh, immediately sparks our interest and, and gets our hearts to pause and our ears to open, and then we, we remember the fact that good means that it is serving a good purpose for man. Therefore, man is meant and designed to be relational. We are made for relationship. We are all throughout Scripture, what do we find? Relationship. 
we find continual relationship. First of all, the ultimate relationship that there ever is, ever will be, is between God and man. Really, even you could even back that up and take man out of the equation. In the greatest and most high relationship that there is, is God within himself. All right? Now, this is something that is mind-boggling to, uh, to, to try to wrap our brains around, that the eternal, um, self-existing God uh, in three and one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, from eternity past to eternity future, have had and always will have this, this perfect union together in fellowship, relationship. Uh, but So that is certainly the highest, but then below that we've got between God and man, and then below that we've got between man and man. The, rele- the reason why any relationship that you have with uh, maybe a husband, a wife, a friend, a loved one, uh, that has gone astray is more than likely because somewhere along the way, a relationship between a person, an image bearer, and their creator has been marred or misshapen or has been uh, knocked around a bit because of sin. And, and so if our relationship with God is not right, then our relationship with man is not going to be right. So the reason why our marriages are failing at alarming rates, not just outside of the church, but inside the church, I firmly believe is absolutely because the relationship with God somewhere along the way is not what it should be, is not where it should be. So if you want to fix your marriage, right? We used this example a while back. I think I used uh, Joe and and Joey. And uh, what we did is this idea of if you want to get closer together, right? You You might start on different sides, but the closer you get to God, the closer you will get to one another. The relationship with God is the most key and important relationship that there is. But God makes us to be relational. We are designed to be relational to God, to the creation, uh, and every other image bearer to the glory of God. Having good relationships brings glory to God. Right? Would you say or would you even think that having a bad marriage brings glory and honor to God? Of course, you would say no, right? How about having a bad or a poor relationship with friends or family? Does it bring glory to God? No. And so what do we do here? We've got to see the importance of this. A good relationship will be glorifying to God because it is ultimately fulfilling a deep purpose within our own hearts. We, even the most introverted of people, especially in what they've seen in studies the past few years, especially since the lockdowns and everything with COVID, and and really the past five, ten years, we've seen depression and anxiety and and, and suicides, unfortunately, at at such an alarming rate because people have been locked up, shut up from from one another. We have had an increase of activity online, social media. So people have more online friends now than ever before that they will never meet, that they will never see, and that don't actually care about them and, and don't actually know them. The reason why this is so critical is to know somebody is real relationship. To send a like on Facebook or to be a a friend online of someone that you have no clue who they are, or maybe you even do know who they are, but the only relationship they have is online. There's going to be very little knowledge of that person. So the relationship really is not going to be, one, real. Two, it's not going to be real good or real close. And so if we understand this, where we're at as a nation, as a world, everything is totally backwards. We are trying to build relationships by not having actual relationships, which means that there are a whole bunch of people in the world, millions, and I would even dare say probably billions of people who don't have a real relationship with anybody else in the world. So they've lost what it means to be human. They've lost what it means to be an image bearer. And certainly there are billions today who don't have the, the, the greatest needful relationship that they can ever have, and that is one with God. They have false ones. They have ones that they think are relationships, but what they ultimately have is a religion that, lead, that is only based on their works, based on their goodness, that God only loves them as long as they're doing X, Y, and Z, not that God loves me because that's who he is. And so we see the dangers here where we're at, and, and to be honest, that's a whole other rabbit trail and a whole other sermon series to see how we even got to where we are today. Nevertheless, the following chapters... Uh, three, four, and all the way through the end of Genesis and all the way throughout Scripture and all the way throughout human history are going to, to show how it is sin that corrupts our relationship to God and man. Spouses, our, our, our children, our siblings, our friends, even strangers, right? It, it, we, it, the reason why we don't like strangers and we're all automatically distrusting of them is not because 
we, they're naturally at this sort of, I mean, certainly they have a sin nature like we do, but, but we naturally look at them and go, I don't want to meet new, bo- I don't want to meet anybody new, right? We're normally introverted. We're normally, we go, I just want to know who I know, stick to my lane. I don't want to go outside of my comfort zone, all these things. We're, we're so nervous about that stuff, especially nowadays where everything's changed. The reason why is because we have lost what it means to be made in the image and what it means to have relationship. We have forget and we have forgotten uh, as believers that when we see another human being, that that is not just someone walking around the flesh, that that is a living soul that will one day spend eternity in one of two places. If we were to truly see people for what they actually are, it should change how we interact how we go about our day-to-day life to, to see and understand that go, you know, sure, you might not meet every stranger and go, oh, we're going to be best friends now. That, that's okay. You don't have to be. But certainly we should see every stranger, every person that we don't know as a soul that was made in the image of God who needs to know God and is perhaps one of the billions who has no other relationship or fellowship with any other person in the world. And you just might be the one that uh, brings them uh, some hope or, or some light into their life, or maybe even the salt that they need in their life to draw them back to a relationship with God. Now, as Sorensen writes, he says, returning to the narrative, God noted that it was not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. The infinite wisdom and compassion of God come into view. He understood the needs of the man whom he had created and knew he needed a companion for fellowship and help. The reason why marriage is a good thing is because God ordained it. The reason why understanding gender, sexuality, and the home, and the order, and the roles of both male and female, of husband and wife, of father and mother, of all those things, the reason why those are good things, because one, they're biblical things, but they're biblical things because God gave them order. God gave them, decreed them. He made them. Uh, It is good of what he's about to do. He's about to take something where man is lacking and is going, and man doesn't even know. Let's pause for a moment. Adam doesn't even know he's lacking yet, all right? What God's going to do here in just a few minutes, as we'll see, is he's going to use an illustration of the male and female animals that he's going to bring to Adam to name them and to to number them, if you will, to show, hey, Adam, what's missing here? Adam's going to look and go, well, they all got husbands and wives, if you will, right? There's... There's a, a, a mommy lion and a daddy lion, right? They, they love each other. They're walking Paul and Paul through the card, and everything's great, right? And he's going to go, but I, I don't have one like, like me. God's going to take care of that. Marriage is a good thing. Gender and the order of it is a good thing because what happens when we get gender disorder or, or it, it becomes disordered? We lose our humanity. We go into a multitude of sexual sins and issues. We lose our, our image of godness. It's still very much there, but we, we lose the awareness of it. It destroys everything. And so as we look here, Salehammer writes about this, and he says the passage does not suggest that man had become lonely. We don't find that there. Or that God thinks that man, the man needs a wife, though at the conclusion of this chapter, God gives him a wife. Literally what God says about the man is that it is, excuse me, it is his aloneness or solitude that is not good. The man has no one like himself to help him either in worship or any of the other joys afforded him in the garden. Let's look here. As we see and we look at this at the whole grand scope, we learn a few things. One, God does not create the world because he is lonely. Neither does he give Adam a wife because he is lonely. There are many people who would say, if you were to ask, how come God made the world? Or you've even, maybe even heard it in Sunday school, uh, Sunday school classes with, with kids, and we've got to start vetting our Sunday school teachers a little bit better. I don't know. Uh, we've got to start training better. I really do believe we have to train better biblically. And, and they'll say, well, you know, I, I guess little Susie, God was lonely. Could a perfect, self-existent being be lonely? No. He has perfect fellowship relationship all on his own. If you and I would say at times in our life that, you know, I'm fine, I'm strong, I'm independent, I don't need nobody, right? That's not the case, though. If anyone is strong, independent, and don't need nobody, 
It's God and God alone. However, God makes for His own glory, for His own divine purposes, and to demonstrate His power, to demonstrate and reveal to us His creation, His character, in all of His, His glories throughout the creative order and as well as what He does with our own human heart. But solitude is not a good thing. Solitude is a dangerous thing for us as human beings. For God, solitude means nothing because He's perfectly perfect. For you and I to be in solitude at times, it might be nice and peaceful, but not forever. There's a reason why... Now, I've never, I've never gone to prison, so I'm basing my next statement off of movies, okay? <laughs> but you ever heard of solitary confinement? Anyone ever been in solitary confinement? <laughs> right? Solitary confinement, though, uh, you see it in like Shawshank Redemption and all those movies and stuff. And, and y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all have watched these things, okay? Don't pretend you haven't, all right? Uh, we, we see those movies and part of misbehavior or, or to kind of get someone to get back on the right track, they'll put them in solitary confinement. They'll put them in a place where it, it dulls their senses, they have no contact with anyone from the outside, uh, it, even maybe malnourished, all these things. And guess what? When they come out, they always look just horrified, petrified, traumatized. What we're seeing today is the exact same thing. People are isolated now more than ever, but we've got more people than ever before. We have more ability to talk to people and be in relationship to people than ever before. But everyone is so isolated. <clears throat> everyone truly is lonely. That is perhaps something that has taken place now from every age group, mind you. We have this terrible thing in America that a lot of other countries don't have, and it's where we take our, our elderly, and then somehow, some way, they become a burden, which they are not, by the way, and we put them in a home and we forget about them. And if there's anything that I've ever learned from hospital rooms and nursing home rooms and shut-ins, it is this word, Lonely. And as a pastor, you always want to say, I understand, I'm so sorry, but I have to tell them, I don't understand. I've never been shut in before. I've never been cooped in a hospital bed for weeks or in a nursing home or in a rehab facility or, or stuck at my house and, and I've lost mobility or, or I've, I can't drive or I can't get out like I used to. It is a difficult and a lonely place. It is a, a, an oftentimes a, a dangerous place for one's mind and one's heart. But God does not create the world because he is lonely. Neither does he give Adam a wife because Adam is lonely. You'd say, well, how could Adam not be lonely? He doesn't have a wife at this point. He doesn't have any best friends. He doesn't have any Facebook friends. Nobody's got God. He's literally walking in a perfect relationship with God. How is he in a perfect relationship? Because there's no sin yet. He could be nothing further from lonely. He has the best relationship. This is the best time of his life and he doesn't even know it. He is literally alone with God. And for you and I, unfortunately, something that we've lost because of the distractions of the world that we live in, we have lost the beauty of simply being alone with God. We don't even know what it's like to be alone with God anymore. We don't know what it's like to have a prayer closet anymore. We don't know what it's like to turn off a cell phone and, and, and to not hear it beep and have to feel that we have to give someone that instant gratification of responding back immediately. We don't have to. Cut it off. Cut everything off and get alone with God. And you will find in just a, 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 a moment alone with God it is worth a thousand lifetimes of being around all the people that you love. To have a simple moment alone with God, it, it truly does uh, bring about this idea of going, it might just be me and Him, but I've never felt more alive. I've never felt more joy or, or peace or, or love or assurance. And we also find the truth that God has perfect relationship within the Godhead by Father, Son, Holy Spirit throughout all of eternity. So therefore, He's not lonely. A man has perfect fellowship with his Creator before sin comes, so all is well. As the commentator writes, there is no one like Him whose fellowship He can enjoy along with God's. The man is not alone before God. He can enjoy God's fellowship. Neither is God alone in the sense, for we have already heard Him say, let us make man in our image in chapter 126. What is not good about man's condition is not having another like himself as a helper. We are meant to be in relation to reflect the relationship and unity of the Godhead. Remember, everything is to match and to, to mirror in this creation, the heavens. So just as 
Uh, Genesis chapter 1 mirrors and pictures the, the tabernacle or, or the temple that is to picture the heavenly temple, that what is done here in the creation is to uh, mirror or to give an image of what the heavenly is supposed to be. That's why we say and should continue to remind ourselves when we walk in those back doors that when we gather as a church, that it is to look and feel and sound like heaven. It's to have hearts that are lifted up to God in song. It is to have hearts that are as well lifted up to God, but as well as prostrate before Him. And so we, we, see, um, uh, we see how everything is pointing uh, all to a, this higher, grander purpose. And I have written here on the side for all of us tonight, and I don't know who might need it or if you do need it, but I want you to know that no man is an island. Right? You are not meant to be alone. You cannot do it on your own. I know as a man, and especially for those men here, now there's plenty of stubborn ladies, but there's an awful lot of hard-headed men before me tonight. We think in our own manly strength and our own manly pride that we don't need anybody else to bear a burden or to help us out. We even hide our own burdens from our own wives and not desiring to, to burden them down. We go, I can take care of this myself, right? A real man takes care of his own problems. A real man pulls himself up by his bootstraps. A real man we have all these mentalities and ideas of what a real man is, but a real man is able to understand that he cannot handle everything on his own. That is perhaps one of the greatest downfalls of our pride as men and, and women to a degree. That we all have this idea that we can go it alone, and you might be able to go it alone for a little while, but you're not meant to go it alone at all. Right? We, we might be in the valley of the shadow of death, but why do we not fear? Because the Lord is with us. So we even see there that no matter what the situation or circumstance, we are not ever in our life meant to go at it alone. You need one another. You absolutely need one another. Not just husbands needing wives and wives needing husbands, but as the church of God, you need one another. Not just to send a card when someone passes away or when you're sick. You need each other to have fellowship, to have meals with, to, to pray with, to pray for, to challenge, to encourage, to uh, uh, bring about uh, provoking thoughts to one another, to help each other, to edify each other. We need each other. And I believe one of the downfalls of the past two years, especially since COVID came to town, is that we have forgotten that we do need each other. Many people have said that I don't need physical church when I've got online church, but the studies show that the vast majority of people who are dependent upon online church aren't actually watching much. They're still distracted by cell phones and dogs barking in them and everything else taking place throughout their daily life. And they go, well, I'll, I'll watch it later. And, and, and they're missing out on so much. You and I desperately need each other because we desperately need relationship. Now, as we move forward here, there's this interesting word that we don't use a lot, especially nowadays in the uh, here. He says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. There are a million people who have a million different answers about what it means to be a helpmeet. Unfortunately, there are two different sides that often go to extremes. There are some who say, I'm just supposed to help uh, on occasion, do what I want, do what I can. And there's another side that says, helpmeet means that you submit in all things that the husband is the Lord over your heart, life. You answer him for every moment of your life. There are two different ditches there, okay? I want us to look biblically at what this means to be a helpmeet. And so here, first of all, David Guzik writes, we only see helping as a position of inferiority when we think like the world thinks. God considers positions of service as most important in his sight. Now, I'll be perfectly honest, right? And hopefully this hits all of our toes a bit here. All of us go out to eat or have gone out to eat in some way, shape, or form, and in this little town, we've got plenty of restaurants to choose from, right? So all of us have gone probably to Rio or Hardee's. I don't know what, what everything else is there, right? But somewhere that's got a waiter or a waitress, and what happens, right? One thing that I hate the most is on a Sunday afternoon to go to a restaurant and to hear church people say the most awful phrase that you can hear a church person say on a Sunday afternoon in a restaurant, and that is, you know, these people just don't go to church. You know why they don't go to church? Because they're working in the restaurant to go feed you who gets to come to church, throw some money in a plate, 
and, and then go there and, and try to put more money out to get some food on a plate and then heaven help that person if they, one, didn't go to church like you did because you're so holy that you went to church and now you're going out to eat to force somebody else to serve you. A- amen, right? Yeah. If you can't say amen, say ouch, all right? <laughs> so then we do that. And then the other next phrase that is the most awful is the complaining phrases, right? The water's too cold, water's too hot. Waiter's too slow, waiter's too fast, right? All these things. And we have everything to complain that comes out of our mouth. And what we do is we simply just, we look like the most pitiful Christians and excuses of Christians that there ever have been. We've, we've got to truly watch ourselves here. Because what we do is we end up looking down on those who are doing us a service. They are there getting paid most of them, by the way, which are getting paid less than what normal wage should be and what they're even earning, and they're serving you, and if they're anything like Chick-fil-A, they do it with a smile on, right? And what we'll do is we'll go, well, I just didn't like service day, so I'm not going to give a tip, but I'll leave a track. Uh, uh, leaving a track instead of leaving a good tip will not get anyone to heaven, nor will it make anyone want to be anything like what you think you are. Right, I've been out with plenty of pastors, and uh, they carry more tracks than they do tip money. And the issue is this: regardless of service, they're serving us. Show them some appreciation. If not, don't go out to eat. Go home, fix your own chicken or your own chips and salsa, okay? And you'll be just fine. And this is important because we hear help meet, and we think immediately someone who's bussing tables, someone who's unworthy of of a larger wage, someone who's unworthy of management, or someone who's just not that qualified or skilled at anything. Really, that's not the case here. Jesus says some things about this, and I'm going to turn for just a moment to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. If anyone could have shown a superiority, it was Jesus. He literally was, is, and shall always be God. And he was God in the flesh amongst a bunch of sinners. Literally, in the entire world, everyone else is full of sin, except at this one point in time, Jesus. He is surrounded by sin, surrounded by sinners, and yet he remains pure and perfect and holy and righteous because he is God. And here he preaches and talks about this, and there was some ambitious disciples and and things. But over here in Matthew chapter 20, I want to look at verse uh, 25. It says, I'll back up, actually, just to give some context. Verse 20 says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with, uh, the Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Worshiping's nice, but now she comes to ask of something. She says, And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand, the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. These, these poor people, they have no idea, truly. Verse 23, they say unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, he know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they... Uh, that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We often think of service as something that is lowly, but to Jesus, to be a servant is the greatest thing that there possibly is. There's often a prayer of mine for the Lord, especially in asking God for wisdom and help to be a pastor, let alone to be a halfway decent one, is God help me to be a servant first and a leader second. Leadership and leadership traits don't matter to a hill of beans if he can't serve. Jesus came not just to serve, but he came as the suffering servant. He suffered the whole time that he served people. He humbly served them. He willingly served them. He lovingly served them. All the while not lifting up his head to go, You sure are ungrateful, aren't you? And he certainly could have because he knew the hearts of the people that he served, that he healed, that he ministered to. 
Then one commentator writes, as the creation of man is introduced in Genesis 1, 26-27, with a divine decree, so here that of the woman is preceded by the divine declaration. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet of his like, a helping being in which, uh, in which as soon as he sees it, he may recognize himself is really the, the real root. And then here is of note. Of such a help, the man stood in need in order that he might fulfill his calling, not only to perpetuate and multiply his race, but to cultivate and govern the earth. Here's the key here out of this little bit. We need help. We are designed to help one another. Not everybody is called to be the chief, right? And even the chief has to have others who pour into him and he must pour into others. We are called to live a life of service. But here specifically, that word help me is exactly that. So I want to put here before we go anywhere else. Husbands, tonight, all right, this is, this is for us. You need your spouse. If there is any lesson that I have learned more in ministry, it is how much I need my wife. Not just to be a good, quiet little wife who shows up and does the part, That's not what I need at all. What I need is a wife who loves God and loves me and fulfills that calling of a help me. And that I need her not just for those things, but I even need her when I deny my own heart or my own mind that I do need her. And to be honest, if I have a failure, and certainly Cammie would probably tell you the same thing, is that I have an issue of saying, I need help and I need you. Husbands, I'm sure that many of you just might fall into that same category as well. We need our wives. We need our wives much more than just picking out ties or telling us where we left the remote or the car keys. We need her for relationship, for fellowship, for the extra push to be a godly man and a godly husband and a godly father. We need our wives. Now for you wives, you need your husbands. There is the ultimate push today that is a whole other part, and we very well may get to it later on in the next few weeks with the feminist movement of the day that is, uh, we don't need a man. Don't need a man for anything, right? We've got, on one side, we've got like the, the little rascals, the he-man woman haters club, right? right? No girls allowed, right? They keep every, all them out because they all got cooties. But then on the other side, we have another movement that is that of, I don't need no man for nothing. I don't want him holding doors. I don't need this. I, I can pay my own bills. I can do all this stuff. And that, that, sure, that's fine. Be your own person. But guess what? If you are a wife tonight, you need your husband. But guess what? You might say tonight, well, you don't know my husband. My husband's a bum, right? He might say, I don't know. I don't know your relationship. I don't know what your husband's like. Husbands, I don't know what your wives are like. What we need is I need to do my part. She needs to do her part. And if I do my part and she does her part, then guess what? It works out, doesn't it? It's a lot like football. I love football. I believe it truly is the greatest team sport that there is. Baseball, you can have a good pitcher. You can have a good hitter. You can do pretty good. Uh, soccer, pretty much same thing. Basketball, same thing, right? Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, okay, you, you can take care of stuff, right? You can win some championships. You get some rings. When it comes to football, though, if you have linemen and they don't block, it doesn't matter how good you can throw the ball. It doesn't matter how good your running back can run the ball. It doesn't matter how good your receivers can catch the ball. Uh, and vice versa, you might have a great offensive line, but if your running back's got one leg and only three toes, he's not going to get very far. It's not going to work out, right? Or if your receivers can't catch a lick or your, or your quarterback can't throw, you see each person, every single play has to do their part. So there are those who would say for marriage or any relationship, but I want to especially deal with marriage, especially in this, because it's very key, right? I'm looking at some couples, some people who are married, haven't married, or maybe thinking about marriage. I don't have a clue. This is very important. Marriage and any other relationship, for that matter, is not 50-50. Anyone ever heard? It's 50-50, right? It ain't. It's not. Either you're giving your all and they're giving their all, but there's many a days where it's, it's like food lion rolled beef. It's 73-27, right? It, one's given a whole lot and the other one's given a whole little. And there are some days like that, especially when us men catch a cold. Then we, someone else has to pull the weight and everything, right? We see there. We can joke and laugh a little bit about it, but we understand this. If you're not giving your all and they're not giving their all, it's not going to work, especially day in and day out. 
it leads to, to a whole multitude of issues. Now, I want to address someone else in the room tonight as well. Those who are not married. You're not forgotten by God. And as a matter of fact, you're not despised by God because you are not married. Rather, it, it, there is still yet a blessing and a divine purpose for you. And, and God does not look down and say, well, you're just not quite good enough or, or um, you're not worthy enough or any of those things at all. Rather, I would say to you, those who, who are unmarried, that you need people too. That you need relationship with one another. Not just other unmarried, but with other couples, with other people. When I was a single man, which was for a very long, long, long time, I, what I tried to do my freshman year of Bible college is, is I found a couple of couples on campus that I really admired. There was one in particular, uh, Josh and Clarissa, and uh, Josh Giles, and, and they're now married, happily married. Uh, it, it, but I watched him do several things, and I watched her as well, and, and they were they were a great couple, a godly couple. They prayed together. They, they were sweet. They, they followed all the campus rules, all those things. I watched Josh carry her backpack and, and, and things for her and, and open up doors, and, and he didn't lord over her, rule over her. He, he listened and not just, uh-huh, right? And all these different things. And I, and, I, and I remember having a conversation with him one day, and, and I was incredibly dumb for a freshman, and I was dumb for a senior when I got there too. But I remember having a conversation with him going, how did you guys get to where you are right now? Because they've been together for a while. And then I had another friend, uh, Timothy Worlds, and his wife, Hannah, now his wife, Hannah Kate, and, and they had been high school sweethearts. I'm going, how did you get to where you are now, right? Long before I ever had my first date with Cammie, which, by the way, that first date I knew I was going to marry. As long as she stayed around, she did. Praise God. It worked out. Uh, but, but you think, I go, how do I have what you've got? And for them, the key was they both needed each other. They both <clears throat> decided to do as God had ordered and as God had ordained. Now as we move further here, uh, Clark writes about help me, a help, a counterpart of himself, one formed from him, and a perfect resemblance of his person. If the word be rendered scrupulously, literally, it signifies one like or as himself, standing opposite to or before him. And this implies that the woman was to be a perfect resemblance of the man, possessing neither inferiority nor superiority, but being in all things like and equal to himself. However, there will be differences, different roles, responsibilities for the sexes. And this will be discussed as we move throughout the study and be more detailed later on. Here, what we find is that though they are being and like the same way, it does not mean that they are gifted the same way, nor does it mean that they have the same roles and responsibilities. You can be equal without being the same, all right? And what is happening today in, in vast droves is that because we view men and, and women equal, therefore that means that a woman can pastor or, or, or things like that. We're finding those things to, to take place. Or um, in all, these, all these issues that happen because we don't want to submit to simply what God has. And it leads to a whole world of hurt. Just because we have different roles and responsibilities and just because we have different things that God ordered us for to do and even designed us to do, right? Let me put it simple. A man cannot have a child. All right? Does that make sense? Got it? Okay. Perfect. See? Does that mean, though, that the man is now inferior? No. Does it mean that he is superior? No. It means that he is very much equal, made in the image of God, but it means that he can't do what a woman can do. And so whatever you can do and what you're called to do, do it for the glory of God. Do what you were designed to do, and there is no shame in doing what you were designed to do. Matter of fact, what that does is it brings glory to God. This is why the transgender movement is absolutely uh, horrendous. It is anti-God, it is anti-Bible, it is anti-not just traditional and conservatism, but it is anti-image bearer. It goes contrary to not just science, but to the very decree of our DNA and what we were designed to be. It tells God, you got this one wrong. God don't get anything wrong. And as we look here as well, Kidner writes, the New Testament draws much of its teaching on the sexes from this crowning paragraph of the chapter, which is the dynamic or dramatic counterpart of chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. The naming of the animals a scene which portrays man as a monarch of all he surveys pointedly reveals him as a social being made for fellowship, not power. He will not live until he loves, giving himself away to another on his own level. 
So the woman presented holy as his partner and counterpart. Nothing is yet said of her as a childbearer. She is not valued. She is valued for herself alone. And this is where we're going to bring things to a wrap tonight. In, in verse 19, God brings every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called them, every living creature, that was the name thereof. Remember, Adam is a picture of, of Christ. He is the first Adam. He is to operate uh, in the garden of the tabernacle or the temple of God, if you will, on earth as prophet, priest, and king. He is to be the king to rule over this garden and to keep dominion and to as well protect it like a king should. However, he does not protect it from, the, from Satan who would come and deceive his own wife. and uh, He does not protect it from his own heart. Uh, he, he then as well fails as, as a prophet by not teaching and preaching these truths to his own heart as well as to his wife. Uh, he, then he also fails as a prophet priest, uh, as the priest of the garden where he would uh, make it defiled because of his own sin. And he would let um, sin into a place that was to be perfect and to be holy and to be a place of where God and man dwelt. Here, though, now as we look, in verse 20, God uh, and Adam gave names to all the cattle, the fowl, the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. This helpmeet is about to be seen, and God is going to give him, Eve, his wife, to be this helpmeet. We don't find, as Kidner writes, she is valued only because she can have kids. Rather, she is valued for just being Eve. The value of any soul is not that they can or cannot bear children. Your value is found in being a living soul, an image bearer of God. God gives you purpose and defines who you are, not outside circumstances that society places upon us. David Guzik writes, A woman or wife cannot be regarded as a mere tool or worker, but as an equal partner in God's grace and an equal human being. If there has ever been an issue in the independent fundamental Baptist movement, it is the fact that we treat our women as if they are second-class citizens. It is as if we treat our women and our wives as if all that they are good for is for being nice or singing or taking care of kids or popping out kids, and that's it. Their worth is not because they have children and it's not because they have the longest of skirts or because they are great at nursery or, or, in, or, or play piano or any of those things. Your worth is not what you can do. It is not found in what you can produce. It is not found in your bank account or, or any of these things. Your worth is found in being made in the image of God and being a human being, a living soul, made and fearfully, wonderfully made by God. That is your worth. Our worth is not in what we own. It's not in what we can or can't do. It's not in what we have or what we have not. Our worth from Eve and Adam all the way to you and I tonight is not about any of those things. Our worth is found in being imago Dei, made in the image of God. Our worth is found in being a living soul specially designed by the very hand of God Himself. He knew you in your mother's womb, therefore you have eternal worth and purpose. And our worth is found in Christ alone. He takes us from being sinful, wretched, vile creatures who can produce nothing good on our own to then changing our hearts and clothing us in His own righteousness he takes something that would only produce unrighteousness and wood, hay, and stubble, and <clears throat> then it produces something that is far more rich and far more grand than we can ever imagine. That God would use sinners like us, unimaginably so, for His glory and for His purposes. Tonight, before as we as we close, we will pick up with uh, the naming of the animals. Continue to, to to move on, but I want to end tonight with this. From this passage and from looking at what it means to be a helpmeet, from what it looks like to be Adam and to be Eve, and before we get to the marriage and all this stuff, 
we have to get back to the very basic understanding, humanly speaking, that every single soul has purpose, has uh, a divine uh, dignity, and, and it has a worth simply because they're made in the image of God. From the very beginning at conception, at conception, not at another portion of pregnancy, but at conception, that soul has worth. Not because that soul has contributed a single thing to the society yet. As a matter of fact, it hasn't. But rather because it is the worth of the weight of that same God who holds the universe and measures out the stars of the span of His hand and holds the waters of the world in His palm. The same God who spoke all things in creation takes His mighty hand and forms and fashions and shapes us from our fingerprints to our eyeballs and causes our very heart to beat. That's why we have worth. Not because Eve would pop out children. Not because you maybe can or can't. Your worth and my worth is because God says that there is worth. Not because of anything that I have done, but simply because of who He is and that He has made me in His image. So take hope. And may it as well break our hearts for the atrocities of the modern-day holocaust of abortion. 70 million-plus souls that are counted just in our own nation killed. More day by day. Not to mention the fact that there was such a dramatic push for euthanasia. New Zealand just allowed for a bill that allows those who have COVID to just ask a doctor to euthanize them and even allows for doctors who, if they just don't think someone's going to make it, they can go ahead and make that call themselves. This is what happens when we leave what it means to be made in the image of God. Every soul, from conception to on death's door, is of an incredible worth. If Christ would die for souls, you and I should be able to look at a stranger, at a drunk, at a neighbor, at someone who's done us wrong, and say they have worth, they need Christ. And I might be the only one that can tell them and show them both of those things. May this truth shape our heart and shape how we view not just God, but as well as His creation. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this night. Grateful for Your Word. And Lord, there is so much depth and, and richness that we can see as we dig into Your Word. God, I pray that tonight that we would not just have filled heads, but we would have filled hearts that are incredibly grateful for the worth that You've given to us. Not because we have any worth on our own, but simply because of Your goodness, Your love, and your, your kindness towards us. Lord, that you formed and fashioned us. You, you have known us long before even Genesis 1-1. God, you, you have decreed and, and, and planned forth all these things. You've given us divine purpose, Lord, to do something for you. And God, I pray that you would help us to fulfill those purposes. And Lord, ultimately to fulfill the great purpose of being an image bearer. And Lord, even more so that those of us who are born again, God, that we would bear the image of Christ to a lost and dying world that no longer knows what it means to be human, let alone what it, what it means to have a relationship with you and other people. God, I pray that you would use us, have our hearts focus and, and seek you on, on, on what you care for, and Lord, that you would go with us from this place and that we might be used of you in, in a tremendous way. Lord, help us to be prayerful, help us to be hopeful, and help us to be looking to you in your, in your soon return. We love and we thank you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming tonight. If I don't see you this week for prayer during the morning or Friday night,